Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining, uh, Peter, to hear. Uh, see a lot of good uh, good people here. I'm just trying to get all the speakers set up. Um, today, who's that? Peter, are you there? Can you hear me? You sounded like a chipmunk there for a sec. Um, Sandy, there. There we go. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm just finishing up making my dinner right now. Um, I'll get can it, I'll we get, get Tina Martina Ortiz and Louise to sing the anthem for us going forward? Just a sure. small request. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Tahir, how's it going? Good, good. Now you have to play the American national anthem, Dan. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a hockey game, right? Like this is uh, this is our this is this is our national sport housing. Um, Did you get my DM? Yeah, yeah I yeah. got it. Uh, no, maybe not. Maybe not the most recent one. Um, but uh, but yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the slowdown. Which, interestingly enough, and Peter, I don't know if you can corroborate this, but uh, but I've actually noticed this week has been been a little bit quicker than than the ones prior which is you know typical of your your weeks after march break um it doesn't feel like you know pre pre pre-march break i would say we're certainly not february um and then also i think you know your march data is kind of coming in and it looks like prices are either we're seeing it you know your seasonal trend evolving or or prices are actually down since february uh, which i find interesting. um prices are down from february but uh i am noticing uh, you know, I was out with clients last night as well. We're putting, I'm in an offer presentation right now and there's five offers or six offers, including me. Um, so, you know, but this, this is Toronto, this is in, in East York. So, uh, you know, it's not reflective of maybe nine Oh five. Uh, and then in a couple other homes that are actually having offers tonight that we saw yesterday are in multiples as well. I think we've got eight and seven. So, you know, there's still demand there, but, you know, I'm talking East York, we're not talking, 905, I, I know, like, I have first-hand example of, of a slowdown. Um, uh, a townhouse I sold in Bradford in February, well, literally the neighbor next door, and I think I mentioned it before, but, like, a joined wall, uh, I sold it for one two, and they were 999, hold back, got nothing, listed at one two because that's what right next door sold for. And I just checked now because I hadn't looked since last week, and they're at one point one two nine right now. Offers anytime. It's exact same unit, right? They're, they're touching walls, and and uh, and I just I looked at average price of February in just specific pockets. I kept it very specific, um, and and just looked only a detached. And I could see the average price, uh, the median price is higher in February than it is in March. So yeah, it's pretty easy to see that. Um, I, I'd be pretty confident saying that prices are down um, in like the 905 area where we are uh, from February to now. Yeah, I would agree. I think that there's a lot of apples to apples comparison. Um, and I think I that even when you talk about, of... yeah, even, and even when you talk about, uh, you know, things being back in multiples, because there was a period of time where, you know, there was no bids. Like it just was, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if de- demand just recoiled so quickly at the end of February there, but there was like a week or, you know, when everybody was kind of like, holy shit, this happened fast. Right. Um, and, uh, and that, that it seemed like it was an absence of bids. Right. I think that we've kind of, we're, we're kind of plateauing, balancing a little bit. It's like, we're trying to find an equilibrium. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but to me, you're seeing four offers now rather than 20 and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing 20 showings now rather than 50. Right. Yeah, pretty much. 
And, uh, and the interesting part from my perspective, I'm just adding Nazma in here uh, as well, but uh, the interesting part from my perspective is is what happens with absorption, right? Like, because we're heading into the spring market, you're going to start seeing spring market, you would assume seeing spring market supply happen. If we could guess, let's just say that spring market demand has already come and gone in February. Uh, there's no way really to verify that and unless Jason Billingsley wants to wants to chime in with some some search trends from Zolo here. But, um, you know, if that is the case, um, you would expect that your time in the market or t- sorry, time on market, your days on market is going to get extended really quickly. And that to me means that inventory could ramp up and you could almost, you know, I think, you know, some people have said we need to basically triple inventory to get to to even uh, a balanced market. Um, it, it doesn't seem that far away from my perspective. If, if you know, your average sales cycle of a hot product was a week uh, in February because people were just holding off offers for, for seven days, you know, if now all of a sudden, like that one that you just described, right, they held off at 999, they didn't get 1.2, they, re- they relisted. Now they've probably been in the market for three, four weeks. So you've just four yep. X the you know you've just increased by four times the the sales cycle, right? The absorption, and that that eventually trickles into the market, and and then there's a lot of leftover supply sitting. So at, at that point, I guess it just comes down to whether or not all of these sellers were just opportunistic and they were on a, a fishing trip, or if they're actually serious. And then that's where we start to see, I think, you know, sort of a downward price discovery happen as a result of the market forces right now. Yeah, definitely. I'm just looking at weekly days on market. It's ticked up a bit, but nothing significant. Yeah. Same thing as Yeah, I think it takes week. time, right? Yeah, exactly. And But I can see, like, listings, I'm just looking at uh, on a weekly basis uh, in the last 12 months, in the last, yeah, 12 months on a weekly basis. Uh, from the third week of March till like the last week it, or this week, technically, it's shot up really quickly. And then sales have actually gone the opposite direction. They've fallen off, which is really strange. But anyways. Yeah, interesting. Um, Nazma, Jordan, Daryl, how are you? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. How's it going? Good, you? Good, good. Um, and uh, Nazma and Jordan, are you guys, uh, you guys both here? Yeah. Hey, yes. Good, good. Yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, we so I figured we'd finally, uh, yeah, we'd finally address like the elephant in the room that everybody's talking about the the the, the idea of a slowdown um, and just what uh, you know what's led everybody to believe that that's going on, whether or not we're still seeing it, because I think the topic first came up. Um, you know what? Maybe two months ago now. We were uh, no, about no, it at least a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like mid Feb, I think. Right. Like, and uh, yeah. and so, you know, is it still happening? Have things plateaued? Uh, what what is going to happen as a result? And then and then kind of, you know, where do we go from here? How do we start to make informed decisions in real estate um, to to deal with what's happening in the market? Nazma, I don't know if you want to go ahead with that one. Yeah, I always wait for an invitation to like this. So you want to go ahead? Um, okay, so okay, I'll tell you just from my perspective. I the the reason I knew that we had a slowdown is not just because like I was guessing or I was hoping, wishful think, thinking, or whatever it is. I've had again, like I know I tweeted this. I've had listings since January every week, and I I see the difference when I have a hundred showings in one week versus. It's almost like overnight, like every week you sense kind of a difference in the market. And 
all of a sudden, um, we had, I had a listing in a super hot neighborhood and usually we would have a hundred showings in that week, right? Until offer day. Um, I think when we listed the first day, we had like one showing booked and that was very concerning. Even to the sellers who don't have experience selling, it was concerning for them as well. All of a sudden now sellers are asking and worried and asking me, Hey, what's going on? Is this normal? Like, are we going to sell this? Like what? So, and every single listing I've had since then has been extremely low showings. And I'm talking like five showings in maybe three days or four days. Um, and so when someone calls me to say, Hey, the, would you take a bully at that time? It was still kind of a transition where buyer agents didn't realize that the market had slowed. So they didn't see, they, they didn't see our cards. Do you see what I mean? Um, and, and they were just like, since the, January, they've been losing on multi, in multiple offers. So they just think that, Hey, like, would you take a bully? What am I going to say? I'm not going to say, no, we have an offer date because then if they come on offer date, they will see our cards and they will see that there are no other offers. When they come for a bully, they think it's hot. And so that's why you guys have been seeing many bullies out there because the listing agents know that they're not getting any showings. So when an agent comes and says, I'll give you a bully and the agent is still thinking January prices, right? And so when the agent says, I'll bring you a bully, what does the listing agent says? He says, you know what? Yeah, you know, let's think about, obviously we're not going to say bring it, please, please bring your bully. Okay. So we're just going to say, yeah, sure. Like what number, what price are you thinking? And you play the game and, and that's it. So, you know, there's a reason why I'm saying there's a slowdown. And, and obviously at the time when I was tweeting that stuff, you can see my listings. Why would I announce to everyone that I have no showings on my listings? I would be doing a disservice to my clients. Do you see what I mean? So I, I'd be screwing their sale if I announced that we have no showings. So that's why at the time I wasn't saying we don't have showings, but yeah, that's that's what I'll say. Yeah. But is that is that I all I, asset classes? Sorry, I just want to know. Like because I, I found that with certain pre con like they were selling and I found resale was slow, so that's kind of my wrong. Okay. Honestly, pre-con is a whole other... Listen, pre-con is this imaginary world where people think they're going to make so much money and get rich quick by assigning. So let's just put that to the side. Uh, no matter what happens outside, like pre-con is probably going to be the last on BC changes because people still think it's a magic pill to get rich. Um, what I'll say is uh, condo, same thing. I'll give you another example. Uh, in uh, in January, I had a condo at 999, right? 999,000. Um, and we had a shit ton of showings. We got nine offers and we sold for a record price of 1.2. Okay. Um, that I actually, I think I got more than one. I got one, two, five. And then the, the top guy actually got cold feet. So I could have gotten one, one, two, five, but we got one, two, that same building, probably a month late, like mid February and February. The, an agent in the building called me saying, Hey, like what's going on? Like how many offers did you get? She had no showings. Okay. And I'm going to tell you again, condos 900 K and up are extremely slow, extremely. I know some people are like, Oh, it's still hot. still hot. Okay. It's still hot under 700 K uh, in the suburbs under 800 K downtown, but over 900 is extremely slow. And that's not normal. 
that's not normal. Like what I'm seeing now is not like normal spring market. <laughs> I know what normal spring that was last but year. But why, right? why wouldn't that be normal though? I think, I think it's fair to say that like prices have hit a threshold and people are just sort of retracting at this point. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you might see uh, like a seasonal recoil, right? Okay. What was that? I was just gonna say you might see a, like a seasonal recoil, um, and that's what that's what I'm wondering right now, right? Is like is this just seasonality? Like I, I I'm of the perspective that interest rates are going to negatively correlate with prices. They're going to impact prices, and and especially especially when you talk about um, you know the the heat of the market being in the on the price floor, right? Your seven hundred or sub nine hundred in the condo space, seven seven hundred in the in the in the suburbs. Um, those are the buyers that are most impacted by by rate hikes, right? Because they're buying primarily with with credit. Um, so, and I think it's just a matter of time. But my question right now is, you know, we're seeing a, a decrease in price from from February to March. It's quantifiable now, and, and I, I just you know I think part of it is the spring market being pulled forward into February. But I think another part of it is we're starting to see the market turning over, right? Um, I'll let to hear and Peter go, and then maybe we'll circle back. Can I just yeah, yeah, go ahead. Point? Wait, sorry. One point about days on market, uh, Peter, you were mentioning. The reason days on market, you're not seeing an excessive immediate like increase, again, is because people are still listing low. Hey, I'm doing that as well because clients are still saying, hey, what about offering it? Like, what if we get multiple offers? Like, they still kind of think it and they want it sometimes. Anyway, so people are still doing different strategies. And when you relist or you change price, you relist. So you're resetting to zero days on market. Okay, so oh, no, it's I, hard I, to I, say. I, I know that. Yeah. I know that. But I'm, look, so I'm not looking at, at list days on market. I'm looking at property days on market. Yeah, and to me, it's just like it doesn't even the, – the metric of days on market doesn't even really matter. What matters is if the property is still on the market, right? Because that's when you get a crowded inventory that's situation right. and then and then you can get to excess supply, right? Um, and just – uh, for everybody listening, somebody messaged me asking, "What is a bully?" Because um, Nasma just mentioned it, you know, quite a few times. A bully is a bully offer, so basically a preemptive offer that is trying to front run the the bidding war. So, or, or they offer night. So, you know, if a, if, a, if an agent lists a property, um, they hold off the offers for seven days. Somebody comes in, they show the property maybe on day two, and they want to make an offer. Um, they they ask if they can do it then and uh, and have it presented that night rather than waiting for the offer date. Um, and I think actually you know returning to nasma's um commentary on, on that it's an interesting um picture of the the difference between what a what a listing agent sees in the market and what a um what a buyer agent sees in the market uh, listing agents are aggregators of of demand right we see the demand of more than just one individual um whereas a buyer's agent they only see the demand of, of their individual purchaser right um so you know if that, if their purchaser is is hell-bent on trying to get a house um then if you're if you're a buyer agent representing that buyer, your perspective is I, I think all buyers are looking for this for houses pretty damn hard right now. But if you're a, if you're a listing agent and you're seeing 100%. showings, right? So and I'm similar. Like I, I'm in the same position. I, I'm primarily a listing agent, um, and, and I've seen the same thing. And I was pretty open. You know, I think in mid Feb when I, I had a property, I, I listed two properties, and I was like two opportunistic sellers, investor clients, and we. Both of them literally still in the market this to to this day, um, and and the you know we were trying to time the market and and cash out and it was just a fishing trip right, um, 
and uh, and the showing volume was was like fifty percent of comparable listings a week prior um, on one of them, and then the other one was was like thirty percent. Um, and so you know it it, it it was very quantifiable, and I think we've settled into that that new normal of of a slower, less frenzied market, a less FOMO'd market. And to me, that's a healthy thing. It's just you know. Does, is this the start, I guess, of a, of a market where downward price discovery begins and takes a long time, right? How many days on the market are we showing right now? Like, I think we overreact in Toronto. If we don't sell something in like a week or two, everybody freaks out like it's a horrible market. But yeah, like, what is a normal... Have changed can, their I, can I just say something about Yeah, that's this? a good point. The problem is that there's nothing on the horizon. We, okay... As a listing agent, again, when your listing is listed at, I, I get what you're saying, two weeks is nothing, right? But when you're listed at two, three weeks, first of all, your listing is stale. I don't care in what market you are, two, three weeks plus, your listing is not fresh in you anymore, okay? So nothing revolutionary is going to happen at two, three weeks that should have happened in the first week, right? In the first week, if you didn't have an offer, it's going to be even more difficult in the following weeks unless you just keep doing a price reduction, right? But is uh, that, is what that I was going to say is, is the that problem true? is that there's no bites. Is yeah, that that is, I would say that is true in the current market, Daryl, yeah. I, yes, I agree. of course. By the way, Daryl, there's no fucking bites. People are, there's barely showings, and of the showings, nobody wants it. The buyers are not motivated. There's zero urgency. That's the problem. There's nothing on the horizon to the point where you're almost thinking like, is this going to sell? I know what that feels like because I just felt it in 2020 when condos, you couldn't sell condos for months. You finally sold them sometimes at a loss, right? So that it's funny, like just a few years ago, that market existed and people are in such denial about real estate never going down. I had a client who lost money on their condo. You know, and that's, you know, I think that's interesting, the the losing money part. But the other element I think that's, uh, you know, that's important to know here is that I don't really care about days on market as a metric. Right. Like and and so there's no alarmism associated with me saying properties are spending two two. Uh, twice as long on the market. To me, it's if a property is spending twice as long on the market, that means that your your uh, supply is increasing, right? And we know, like, it's quantifiable of what a supply scenario looks like for a buyer's market, a seller's market, and a balanced market, right? And right now, from my my perspective, especially in a, in a rising rate environment with a macro that is, is becoming less and less favorable towards purchasers, um, or, or sorry, t- towards sellers trying to price protect, um, you... You, you know, you can pretty easily end up like I think a lot of people think that the inventory is so scarce that it, it, it can't change quickly. And I disagree with that. And I think that the 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 fact that it, it you can instantly like within a matter of two weeks, see a listing uh, or the average days on market double or the, the average days on market for the, you know, the 95th percentile of popularity of houses. Right. Your, your bidding war product, the, the beauty pageant winners, those are doubling to me. It. it it's literally just a matter of time because it just takes time to take for these days to stack up until you end up in a balanced market and then a buyer's market, right? Um, so that's my perspective. Uh, I'm going to let Tahir go and Vijash because you guys have had your hands up for a bit here. 
Yeah, thank you, uh, Daniel. And I'll just kind of make my, my point quick. Um, so there's actually one model, and I haven't had a chance to talk with this guy um, that I put up in the nest. Um, and that's actually like the demographics demand model. Um, so it's like the supply and the demand of, of Canadian real estate. Very interesting. Um, and it's forecast out to 2050. Um, I haven't got a chance to dive into the mathematics or, or to speak with the guy. Um, but then the other one is obviously... <clears throat> A chart I posted, which is uh, the year-over-year growth of real house prices, uh, aggregate weighted, um, and basically against the purchasing power parity adjusted for gross domestic product um, from 2020 to 2021. Um, obviously, nobody's surprised Canada's showing massive exuberance, but within that model, what I'm trying to do now is, is break down um, – you know, price to income, uh, you know, real uh, real house prices and, and then price to rent. Um, and, and once uh, I actually started looking at price to income, um, um, America, for example, um, uh, obviously, because uh, if, if you look at GDP per capita, um, America's usually rising at 1.1%, whereas Canada's basically been declining. So actually, they're moving in the opposite direction. Um, so as house prices appreciate, um, the ability to allocate disposable income to that is, is further deteriorating. Um, and so like there's there's massive exuberance over a 95% uh, confidence interval, at least in Canada, and I haven't completely finished the model. I put out the one on the US today, um, you know, where I think that um, Abe was completely right. I mean, you're not going to be able to have 30% year-over-year uh, continued growth um, because Canadians just can't afford it. Um, and obviously, on the back end of that, as rates rise, um, present discount values change dr dramatically. Um, right? Like, even in the U.S., you've seen that from where the 30-year mortgage was at 2%. The only reason I'm using the U.S. is because the, the mortgage rate there has, has uh, you know, gone through the fucking roof, uh, basically, um, over the past couple of months, I mean, you went from some almost like, uh, like, I think it was like 250 bips now to 475. Um, and obviously, you know, um, how much house you can now afford, um, is, is completely, uh, is it just completely collapse, uh, collapses even with like that 50% increase, uh, or sorry, hundred percent increase, um, in, in interest rates. So I think that that's what you're going to start to see in Canada. Um, and that's why I, I think broadly demands, uh, slowing because people I, are realizing we are seeing it though. Yeah, we, we are seeing it. Like look at the five-year Canada bond, like this month in May went up like 80 basis points. And then today, even if Sanchez here, you can jump in and, and, and mention it as well. Uh, the, the rates just went up today. Scotiabank's five-year fix, I think, is three eight four. Yeah, we're going to see four percent probably by, yeah, by uh, this time next oh, week. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. Yeah. When you have when you have the most indebted household in the world, um, and you have interest rates rising, how are people going to go and refinance that? And I know people say are stress tests, but I mean the stress tests are bullshit. And I think everybody. I I don't even know if the refi matters so much as like you you have. Like five years down the road, I actually think a lot of this is gonna gonna be out in the wash, right? Like I think that you'll have had a long bear, and people have will have like the 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 financial stress will have traded out to de-risk, right? I think that that what we're seeing now is among a lot of other inflationary factors, 
people starting to make compromises in consumer spending or other things. And a lot of that looks like, and, and Jordan can probably attest to this on the demand because, and, and Susan as well, because you guys are seeing uh, urban product explode right now. To me, the reurbanization of demand, especially with, with oil prices going up or, or sitting where they are right now, is people pricing in a return to the workplace, pricing in, you know, a difficulty affording commuting. And, and so you're starting to see a tightening in disposable income, like self-imposed austerity, right? And, and eventually that compromise leads to the household. But again, we've, we've had this discussion many times in this space where Canadians are going to starve before they, they fail to pay their mortgage. Like that's just what the way our culture is. And, and so uh, I'm interested to see how consumer spending ultimately trickles into, into, you know, house prices if it, it does at all. Um, Vijesh, did you want to chime in before we, we um, keep going down this path? Um, yes, actually. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for hosting it again. Like these are always. Yeah, my always... pleasure. It's my, my favorite part of my week. <laughs> Same here, to be honest, because it gives me so much of insight about something that I'm. I don't know why I'm obsessed with. But anyways, uh, I just wanted to add a macro. Because you're Canadian. <laughs> Not yet, technically. But yes, I just wanted to add a macro, uh, macro level discussion on top of what you guys were saying. Like the discussion today is about the slowdown. And I think, I don't remember who mentioned this, but they tried questioning how long the slowdown is going to go on for. Now, I'm not in any position to make a prediction. All right. I don't like doing that. So when I can't predict, especially outside of my industry, I, I tend to rely on experts. And one of the experts that I listened to yesterday was uh, Larry Summers. Speaking of Ezra Klein, it's a very good podcast. I'll see if I can post it up here. Larry Summers is divisive in the economist industry. So people have mixed opinions about him, but it's hard to deny that he's been right about inflation and rates going up and you know things falling out of place this year and last year. And what he predicted now was that the Fed, at least in the US, is going to, they're going to, toss everything aside to reestablish credibility. Like the top priority is going to be reestablishing credibility and getting rates back to real positive levels, which is, which if you think about it, what he's saying basically is they're just going to keep hiking and they're going to make bigger hikes till two levels that people can't see yet all the way into next year is what he predicts all the way, at least into 2023. Uh, Tying that into the Canadian thing, I know uh, Steve Saretsky posted today that fixed rates have hit 4%, which is the highest we've seen in quite a while. It's moved up quite a bit in two months as well. But we're at 4% right now for fixed. And if we follow the Fed, which it kind of sounds like we are doing, because the BOC is talking about 50 basis points hikes as well. Yeah, so we have doing, the Fed, really. I think. Yeah, sorry. so if, if we're doing the same thing, if we're doing the same thing all the way into 2023, just hiking like crazy till we get into positive territory on real yields, it's scary that this downturn is going to last at least for a couple of years. Is that that's just me putting numbers together? What do you? Yeah, I would I would agree, and I think even if you end up in a in a in a, in a huge sell off scenario, which I don't know, like if we're gonna if we'll reach that level of financial stress, like functionally you know, everybody's talks about a crash, right? Like I, I and I, I've said a handful of times, it, it's mechanically impossible to, for that to happen in, in Canadian real estate because we don't have foreclosure or jingle mail. Um, but, but, you know, so people aren't gonna be walking away from their houses, but, but, you know, power of sales can, can take time to, to erode the market at the speed at which most people describe. So if you look at the way that Canada's 
past bear markets have have behaved you know they often correlate with uh a major economic shock prior such as an oil price hike or you know a recessionary environment and then they also correlate inversely with interest rates right so i I think we the writing's on the wall here it's just sentiment hasn't hasn't moved to the point where it's reading that writing right and and, um i actually had somebody message me questions and honestly you guys if you do have questions uh feel free to message me um but uh the the question and for everybody else who's who's uh contributing to the dialogue is you know do we think that this is just a slowdown is this the end of the spring market or is this the start of a decline right so and and i think I, i gave my perspective in that statement there peter go ahead yeah um to vishesh's point i think uh uh, the idea of getting to real positive rates when inflation's at, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever the CPI is in the states, eight nine percent, eight percent in the states, five five and a half six percent here, uh, when we're at you know fifty basis points is like to get to that point, or maybe they meet in the middle somewhere. I don't think it happens personally. I think like, I think they get stopped out. Something breaks before then. Uh, personally, is is my. You think the BOC you know, story or or. Or the Fed, everything, both, both. I think both. Like there's, there's like I can see the Bank of Canada at a certain point it breaks. Something's going right. to break. They're going to raise. They're going to raise. And I think you know, part of me, which I'm not, I'm not 100 percent behind this theory, is maybe they just want to rake as quick as they possibly can because they know something's coming and they're going to need they some, want to draw you know bullets and the, 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 they need some bullets in their holster to eventually. Because what do you do after you just start? You, you bought you bought bonds. You bought mortgage-backed securities. Uh, you, you know, what's next? Like, you have, you're at zero interest rate policy. Are you just going to go out and start buying stocks as well to prop up? You're breaking up, Peter. You might as, yeah, you might as well start go start buying stocks. Or yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, sorry. You, you might as well just start buying yeah. stocks. Or, right? yeah, or you so might they, 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 they give money. Yeah, they, they, Japan, they, they're doing it, right? And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and we're two decades behind Japan. You know, uh, you know, the, the U.S. is probably a, a decade behind Japan, but... Um, you know, my opinion, I think something breaks before then and they have to jump in. Um, Deer would know this as well. I just finished watching a really good interview with Michael Howell at Cross Border Capital. And uh, he made some really good points on liquidity and uh, about it drying up, global liquidity at least. So, like, I think within the next nine months. To- Sorry, Peter. I, I lost you there. I don't know if anybody else can hear him. Yeah, um, sorry. I just think, I, I just think uh, at, at a certain point we're going to get stopped out. And again, look, look at and there's someone in here, Andrew, I was speaking with uh, earlier this week. And just look at look at the trend of the longest duration bond. Like, are you telling us that they're going to they're going to break from this um, from this trend of just down and to the left? Right. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too. And I think that, you know, the government maybe, you know, beyond beyond the central banks, uh, you know, both both really grappling with lo- losing credibility right now. But, um, you know. On the on the um, monetary side, or sorry, on the fiscal side, you know, helicopter money is also a good way to just basically indirectly just buy stocks, right? Like, and so it wouldn't surprise me to see a UBI as a response to the disparity that was just created. Um, there's, a, there, there's a reading. There's a bill out. I'll, right. I'll, I'll send it to you. There, there, there's yeah. a reading in the House of Commons for it. It's um, coming. Sanja, do you want to go ahead? And everybody who's requested to be a speaker, if you can just send me uh, a message so I know you're legit, um, that would be great. Um, anyway, Sanja, go ahead. 
Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I was just <clears throat> finishing up my food there. Uh, yeah, so as Vishesh mentioned, the uh, fixed rate did go up at Scotiabank. I think we're touching 4.14 as of tomorrow morning. Um, <clears throat> now, speaking to the stress test, it's kind of lost all relevance at this point, right? Because if you're going for a fixed rate, you're, you're getting contract plus two. So that means you have to pass that 6.14 for Scotiabank's five-year fixed, right? Now, if you're going in for a variable and you decide to lock in at any point in time, you're locking in at four plus percent. So you should be stress testing at that same 4.14 at plus two. So they're going to have to do something on the variable side of things to ensure that you can actually lock in at some point in the future if that's something you decide to do. <clears throat> the way it sits right now, it just doesn't make any sense for the rate hikes that we're kind of experiencing. Um, yeah, that's just my kind of two cents on the mortgage side of things right now. If you have any questions, feel free to ask, and I'll, I'll try to address as much as I can. Awesome. Thanks, Sanj. Um, okay, city folk, uh, Jordan, you mentioned, I think last week, um, you know, that we were seeing some more, I guess we're seeing the reurbanization of demand. It, it, it appears apparent, I think, especially in Nazma, you mentioned as well, sort of in the lower end of the condos. Um, I, I think, you know, probably a micro factor, but also maybe our, our world trying to price in and, and recalibrate to the new normal. Um, you know, obviously some, some kind of scary shit going on too with everybody TikToking, thinking that they can assign condos for levered uh, 200x return. But I, I mean, what's going on with, with urban demand right now? Because um, I'm seeing crickets in, in the 905. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like it, it's a beauty pageant. You see the odd property that takes off. But, uh, you know, so what are we seeing with, with urban product uh, in the micro? Is it, is it as slow? Um, I well, no, I mean, like, look, in the past, just in the first three weeks of, and this isn't um, entry level market I'm talking, but just in the first three weeks of March alone, there was more $1 million plus condos sold uh, in Toronto than, than in all of the month prior. So the, the upper end of the market's doing okay. Is that resale? Too, I, I don't know what. Yeah, resale. Yeah, I should clarify. <laughs> um, resale, yeah. Um, pre-construction, like I can talk about to no end, it's as hot as, as it's ever been. Um, everything that we send out to our email list is doing incredibly well. I think this was one of my top two or three months um, in the past eight years selling pre-construction. So like pre-construction demand is, is, is something else entirely right now. Um, but resale, I, I think, and NASMA can probably back me up on this a little bit. I think it's it's definitely doing really well. Like condos aren't sliding in price like the 905s are, but I feel like they're on the resale side. They're a little slower now than they were just a number of weeks ago. Nazma, what's your perspective? There? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're very slow. Um, even, you know, like I had a listing in my building at Kingley 501 Adelaide. Um, and it was like a 470 square foot condo. We had about a hundred something showings. Um, and we got a great price and then right after it, someone else listed her one bedroom condo and it was actually a, a bit bigger and you would get way more bang for buck on her condo. And she had uh, very, very, she had, I think she had like 15 showings. Um, so offers are going down even for the smaller units. Offers are, uh, less than what they used to be in January. Showings are much less. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. 
Yeah. I mean, usually it's the lower priced ones that are the last to feel anything. And, and uh, it's like you said, uh, Daniel, that um, they, they're, you know, first time buyers or whatever it is. But um, investors, I, I think, are now scared. It's And a lot of these units... So yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because somebody just sent me a, a message sort of proposing a question in regards to investors. Uh, so thank you, Zach. Um, so the, the question is basically, you know, and I think... Along the lines that I had tweeted out a couple of days ago that I felt that the market was about to become a knife-catching contest. That was on Friday, I think, when bond yields soared. Um, and, I, and I still believe that. And I think a lot of people think that uh, the investors, the smart investors, are going to be the ones who are backstopping the market. But you're starting to see fear um, from me, who is maybe the lowest hand catching the knife. Um, the, the investor, right? That the investors are going to come in and, and prop the market up and establish a floor. Um, I, yeah, and so I guess the, the question is, are you guys seeing a change in sentiment um, around investors specifically? You know what, you know what this reminds me of so much is mid-March. Mid-March, I remember I had a listing, it was a condo in Scarborough, and um, we listed right before like the lockdown happened, like, yeah, right before, just a few days. And then there was someone that had called me for a bully. And at first I was like, hell no. But then when the lockdown happened, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm, I, I can't wait until offer day because then they will. And I remember calling. And you know what? I, I played this game. Anyway, this, this agent, I told him, like, listen, you know what? I, I just bring the bully. Uh, but I remember calling all the people that showed it. And some people were interested at first. And then it was resonating between all of them and probably 95% of them. What they were saying was, was we want to wait and see what happens with this market. And that was when COVID first hit. And, and truthfully, the condo market got decimated in 2020. And how many of those people actually did buy at the absolute bottom of 2020? Yeah, time. probably not many, but, and now I regret Oh, good for you. But but yeah, so so anyway, the point is, is this reminds me a lot of back then. Now it's the same two things that I'm getting when I call people because I have a few listings. And if anyone wants a three bedroom, bring, your, bring me an offer. But yeah, so I mean, you know, when I call people, it's two things. It's either it's an investor who like wants to wait and see what happens or it's an end user. But their feeling is, oh, yeah, they're just, you know, they're taking their time. They're just, they're looking at other things. So they're browsing. They're taking their time. And that's exactly what I was seeing in 2020. Zero urgency. Yeah. And and, and what percentage of transactions last year were investors? I have no idea. Of who? Of me or in general? No, no. What what percentage of transactions last year that took place were for multi-unit owners? Multi-unit owners. 25%. Roughly, it's about a quarter, I'm going to say. And so at that point, you know, put a large chunk of your of your buyers out there, you know, who are just waiting, that could easily bring those day, uh, those uh, months of inventory up too. I'll tell you what, we are getting way more um, of our pre-construction investor clients after we have our consults with them and, you know, show them resale prices, come to the conclusion that they'd rather Is buy. Is it just me? There's everybody like bringing up in here. I can hear Jordan fine. It might be you. It's just you. Still, you're still raging at Buzz Conference. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Yeah, no. So I was just saying like... Um, we like after in the past two or three months specifically, like we've had a lot of people 
came to us to purchase pre-construction, sat down in our office, and after showing them everything, d- decided that maybe they, they would rather just buy resale, uh, deal with the negative cash flow, deal with tenanting and, and closing on the property now. Um, just because of A, one, one big reason is obviously it's cheaper. And then two um, is, uh, you know, like one reason is it's cheaper, right? The second reason is everything, anything below 600K or 700k on the pre-construction market is getting oversubscribed 10 to 1. So you have so it's even worse than a bidding war in the resale market. Um, and then final reason is obviously risk of cancellation. Some people are really afraid of that. So I, I've had a lot of we've had a more than usual uh, chunk of our investors switch to focusing on resale after you know showing them what we have to show them. Yeah, that's a that's because pre- pre-construction condos really doesn't make sense anymore in the long haul, like in my personal opinion. I mean, like two decades ago, it made sense. People made returns. It was positive cash flow. And then, you know, like just this is just my opinion. I think the, you know, the further along we trek along with, you know, the increase in construction costs, variable costs, fixed costs, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, oil prices increasing, war in U- Ukraine, um, you know, inflation, this, that, like, it's just, it's just making it even more, like, less. Okay, less- then, res- then resale condos also don't make sense to invest in. But why is that? Yes, because they're because, cash flow. Because if, because everything you just said applies but to there's an uncertain But there's an uncertainty to something that's not being, that hasn't been built yet versus something that they can see. What, what if. They can purchase. Do you know what, what I'm if, saying? Sure, but again, painting with a broad brush, and this is what kills me about everybody on pre everybody shitting on pre construction in, in on Twitter is you you guys all oh, act not- like every single project is by a sketchy developer, isn't approved, and is forty percent above resale. And that's not the case. Like there are lingering inventory, there are pre construction units you can go pick up now at less than a thousand a foot in the junction, and it's under construction and sold out. The project's not getting canceled; it's almost done. Right, it's one or oh, two no. years I'm, left. I'm very well. I'm very well versed in that in that space because I used to like. I think you know, I used to sell for developers, and that's what we used to coin back end inventory. And a lot of them would come with a lot more incentives and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is, generally speaking, like um, there's a there's an uncertainty for like, especially I don't I don't know how people can stomach like paying two thousand twenty five hundred a square foot for a pre construction unit when. They're, you know, they're really just hedging and it's like, um, there's just so much and Biden just came out with, um, you know, this statement where it was like, there's going to be food shortages coming up. It's like, oh, okay. So there's food shortages and you're going to buy a luxury condo for what exactly? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's, there's this like fear out there and, um, it's just all these other variables are kicking in where people are just a little bit more uncertain about, you know the landscape, the overall. The overall... No, I, I get, I get where you're coming from, and I, I agree with the the sentiment of of there's a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of us over the next five years, a lot of us are going to be re- very wrong, and a lot of us are going to be very right, and it's hard to determine which <laughs> which class of people we're going to be. But like, my, I guess my point was just the the reasons you gave as to why pre construction is a bad investment applies to all real estate rather than pre construction specifically. So that's the only reason I, I was. I guess what I what I mean, like I I respectfully disagree. Like I agree and I don't agree. I get your sentiment, Jordan, and you've always been like really you know analytical and analy- analytically geared. But I feel like from a I just feel like people are a little bit more. 
more inclined to shop for a resale condo, let's say, versus a pre-construction something where there's there's less certainty. That and to your point in terms of like you know big builders canceling, big builders have canceled. Monarch canceled. Um, you know that 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 building there in the West End. What's it called? That's there? because they were bought out by Madame. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, it happened. Okay, with Cress, well, whatever. As well. I mean, it still happens, right? In Pressford and whatever else. I mean, there there is uncertainty. Like it, like I mean. Unless they they merge and they you know they do vertical vertical integration or whatever, like there's still an element of like um, so what's happening exactly? Like even eighty year year builders can go belly up. There's less certain, there's less likelihood of it, but it's it's not unforeseeable. Think, do you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like it can happen, yeah. right? The question I is, know, I guess, like, like what is the sentiment in the market? Mm-hmm. Has it evolved to a point where you know where? People have just can decisively say in either direction that they. Um, why did everyone just go? But, but so like you know with with precon like I, I think you're hearing a lot of uh, like one number one is you know you're hearing a lot of this assignment flip stuff like I, and I don't know like I, I heard you know a bunch of stuff on like TikTok of you know a whole bunch of shit that like doesn't make financially doesn't make any sense a lot of new people rushing into the market. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's maybe the new FOMO trade, right? Like everybody's looking. So there's, there's piece number one that is people seeking the next get rich quick element in real estate because the resale, you're, you're, you're no longer seeing that in the resale, right? And that's, you know, what, as soon as the resale started to slow down, it was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to be able to lever up and, and make a two X or a, you know, a 10 X leverage return in a year on that. So I'm going to move over to product number two, right? And pro- and product number two carries less immediate risk because you know you get to, especially for people who don't have the capital to deploy they get go through a deposit structure over a couple of years and now you're starting to see excess demand shift over into into the pre-con market um to me like i think these things are all sort of symptomatic of, of uh, you know and when you talk about like developers you know risk of developers canceling or uh, prices accelerating they're all symptomatic of again just there being too much like too many bids and too unreal or unrealistic expectations among buyers in the market right now right and people seeking un- unrealistic the unrealistic trade in Canadian real estate because we have this absolutely skewed perspective that 30% gains that that past returns are indicative of future results right um but Josh, you've had your hand up for a while um Peter I don't know if you wanted to mention something if you're unmuted there no, and no, then no. Um, and then we have uh, a BE mortgages yeah let's get those two in first yeah, I, I, sorry, I just wanted to add the thing of uh, what Nazma was talking about because because I don't interact with people on the ground actually buying houses, I don't get to see this and you guys get to see this so it's good that I'm hearing this. But I'll just compare it with the way I invest in the stock market. Essentially, the peak fear is when you want to buy and Nazma's right about that. She saw peak fear in 2020 and I don't know if we're reaching that stage right now, but you guys will be able to tell that when you're seeing ordinary families reach that peak level of fear that you know interest rates are just too high we can't afford it it's a bad time to buy that's probably a good time to buy for an investor but i also want to tie this into something that me and jordan were talking about a while back because the second element of it is the valuation and jordan put up a chart i don't remember a couple of couple of weeks ago where he showed that condos downtown were roughly the same price as 2017. jordan tell me tell me if i'm getting that wrong but they're basically the same price as 2020 pre-COVID levels, is that right? And if that's the case, if it's undervalued and we're getting close to peak fuel, I guess that's a good investment. What are your thoughts on that? Sort of. So condos is CO1 are up 11%, while a lot of other asset classes over the two, last two years are up you know, 60, 60, 70%. 
and then the other chart as far as condo uh, valuations was the one where um, I compared the the ratio of the detached the average detached price in Whippy versus a CO one condo, which for you know the the twenty year pre COVID average was zero point nine seven, meaning a condo downtown core of Toronto was worth ninety seven percent the price of of a detached in Whippy, and currently it's trading at sixty five percent the price of a of a Whippy detached. So those were the two charts. Fair enough. And then, uh, uh, of course, you guys have already talked about people coming back from the suburbs and not having remote work anymore, oil being too expensive to commute and etc. So everything's adding up really well for the core downtown condo market. That might just be, you know, the one that either stays the most resilient or gives the best returns. That just might do. For two I think it has a more fixed supply too, right? Like the supply chain of uh, of that type of product of density just takes a lot longer to bring to market. Like it's not as reflexive or agile as, uh, as the, the 905 could be because where you're building more single family detached, uh, or, or, you know, any, any at grade housing can respond to market demand a lot quicker. Um, I'm going to let uh, B mortgage go here. You've had your hand up for a bit and you messaged me a couple of things. So. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to speak to what Susan was saying with, regard to pre-con and my biggest concern with pre-con right now is that we're selling at market value today or even a little bit higher than what things are going to going for today so if the prices decline then you're not going to be able to get financing for those condos so i just fear that you know two three years from now there's going to be a huge problem with pre-construction and people not being able to close on their purchases yeah i i would agree with that and i think that there's uh but i i do think that's a there's an individualized basis right like there, you're starting to see and there was there's a lawyer an anon account lawyer here there's mentioning there's a lot of people um you know showing up with multiple contracts in hand with no intention to close and who want to assign again i think these are bad actors and potentially a bad trend here um but 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 not reflective of you know there are there is there are decent products in the market right um that's um yeah that's that's actually uh, Mark Morris, who's one of the best pre-construction lawyers in the city, in my opinion. Uh, he's not anonymous, so I'm not doxing him. His name is in the tag, but but uh, I, I recommend anybody go to them, go to him if they're buying pre-construction, because that guy will tear apart the APS and tell you everything you need to know. But anyways, um, hope he's not talking about my clients, but he's he's right. There's a ton, way more buyers buying pre-construction in the last couple of years look with the sole intention or the sole, you know, kind of the, the plan from the get go to assign. Um, whereas in years past, like people were aware of it and wanted free assignment in there just in case their life changed, but it wasn't necessarily the reason they were investing. The plan was long-term hold or they were going to move into it. And if life changed, they wanted a way out of the contract. Whereas now I'm getting, you know, one in five people who call me are saying, Hey, I'm looking to assign a condo. And a lot of those people aren't too, careful about where where they where they're buying and what their cost basis is relative to resale which i find interesting because it should be of utmost importance to those people what their cost basis is relative to resale because obviously they need a spread by time of closing right um but i will say this the vast majority of people who do come to me with the sole intent to assign i always ask the question if we can't assign can you afford to close do you have the means to close and can you get the mortgage 
And the answer for nine out of 10 people, or at least eight out of 10 people is yes, they can. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't think it's as big a risk as a lot of people think. But respectfully, but respectfully, your your circumstances can change in four to five years, right? I mean, yeah, but I don't know if that's like a, I don't know if I would call that like a, a necessarily like that's an outlier event, right? I, I would be more more akin to saying that Jordan probably has there's probably a selection bias based on the fact that you actually analyze projects by comparison to people pointing at uh, speech bubbles on TikTok saying buy this thing and flip it, flip the paper and six months right uh, that's just my perspective maybe like I, I just based on what i'm hearing i think that this is a, a scary trend that's evolving in the market um anyway I don't, but if i can just add if i can yeah. just add to that jordan um, also and like i all your points are valid and you know i'm your biggest fan i think you know that already but i also want to add that um like because of policy changes like everything like okay i'll just use me as an example like I went to go get a mortgage for an ex like a, another investment property that I wanted to acquire outside of the city and my credit score is really high I'm not try trying to brag or anything but it is and I wasn't able to qualify based on like certain parameters so they're getting like more and more tighter so I think with all these like I think going forward if they continue to, like what like the 20% foreign tax that they just threw in what yesterday or something the more they start to do these changes the more it's going to um you know aggravate I think we've like the overall financial landscape I don't, I don't know if uh Abimo can speak to that sorry or yeah, the, yeah. sorry so, yeah it's not even for people that are assigning though like if you're getting an appraise if you're getting an appraisal on these condos later on and they don't appraise that value, that's where the issue is. And I think that's the difference between buying pre-construction and resale right now is that resale, we already know what the value is going to be. And if it goes down, you just hold. If you're in a, a pre-construction and you're waiting for it to, you know, be built and the prices go down, then you're just screwed. Yeah, I, I think that you're at the whim of time. Yeah, it's it, a but I think also broad brush again, like the, again, there are pre, like, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but you can, can I, buy pre-construction at resale value. It exists. It exists today. And every once in a while there are launches at that value as well. The other thing is, is some pre-constructions ridiculously overpriced, like 40%, right? Those are rare. Average is 20 and 20% 20 over five years isn't exactly the biggest gamble in the world. Um, Pre-construction has always been more expensive than resale. It's just these days it's 20% instead of five or 10%. Um, I just, I, like I get where people are coming from, uh, but I don't, I, if, if, you know, if the market trades sideways for five years, yeah, there's a lot of people who probably are going to have to pony up an extra 100, 200K, but it's not as though, I don't think the vast majority of these people are default. But then, okay, but if like... It, it, yeah, but you'd be surprised, but that's a lot, 100, 200, and does, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people can't... Yeah, exactly. Does the vast majority need to, like, it doesn't have to be the vast majority for it to, to you know, to ruin um, a project, right? Like, especially given that construction financing sort of levers up uh, these deposits, right? Like... I'm just curious as to, like, if you see, again, the values, like, project phase one, phase two, not not appraising, or, like, the more expensive units not appraising, if you lose, like, if you've completely erased the incentive for a, a good portion of your buyers to close on the deals, that, to me, is, like, is risky. And then there's, you know, sort of potential for, for, um, for like, a systemic uh, issue in that, if that happens at scale, just as a result of the market trading sideways. Um I and then sorry. Isn't well, this something I, that's already like already a pro? This is a problem once the market's already a disaster, isn't it? 
Like this is not something that causes a, a, a market right. issue. This is just a right, right. Yeah, so it's a, it's a result. maybe there's other things that are bigger factors that we can discuss that are, have to do with that upcoming potential slowdown. Can I mention something here? Um, I know. Listen, these condos. I, I get what Jordan's saying. Jordan's super smart, very analytical, and I really respect. Um, these condos are going to be built five to six, whatever years from now. Who knows? I mean, you know, our market's pretty resilient so far. Um, but what I want to mention is what I worry about more than than these, especially like you know, reputable builders try to tell this and that. There's no kind of real fear. But I know we're talking about prices, suburban uh, or even exurbs. Let's say Paris, Ontario, where, wherever. That freehold uh, pre-construction that are selling extremely high and that are going to close probably in one or two years. These are the ones that I think uh, may not appraise by the time we get to that point. Plus, who knows how high the interest rate's going to be? Maybe they can't afford it anymore. I, I don't know. Yeah, I had a, I had That's a question. That's what I worry about. Uh in my messages about that as well, right? Kitchener, I guess it was Tech Towers launched at 1,300 a square foot. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, there's a bunch of questions here in uh, in my DMs that I'm going to try and get to um, so we aren't beating the dead horse of, of pre-con. Um, sorry, Jordan. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm wondering, like, because of the interest rates on, on residential mortgages now and the jumps they've made regardless of the Bank of Canada rate, like, hasn't the buyer pool drastically changed and, and likely shrunk? Isn't that part of the issue? Like, people that were chasing a million-dollar house before with a 1.5% mortgage, it's a very different person that would be chasing that million-dollar home now with a potential 4% mortgage, right? Yeah, I think that... So don't we need to like? It is. It's interesting, like to, to mention that as well as you know, when we we're discussing the like when Susan was talking about the, you know, people who are, are not not being able to, to qualify, right? Like I think that you're starting to see more and more demand getting tapped out right, because of the product, and a lot of people maybe just and that. So there's there's exha- there's there's uh, you know perceived exhaustion or mental exhaustion, let's say, but then there's actual physical exhaustion, right, where the mechanics of your buy, your buy or the economics of your buy no longer work. So I agree with you, and I think that more the more that rates crank up, the dif- the, the the difference, or sort the the more uh, different that the buyer becomes for that certain type of product, right? Like the dynamics are changing, and they're changing very quickly. Um, yeah, there. We'd just like to into variable too. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Peter. Uh, just anecdotally, I was speaking to a few different mortgage brokers today, uh, talking about some pre-con uh, pre-approvals, and they're already starting to see some appraisals come in light on pre-con completions. So it's kind of here. I wouldn't say that's you know a broad stroke or it's happening all over the place. This is GTA and exurbs. It's not happening in the core, but it's starting to happen already. And it's, it's something I've kind of mentioned in the uh, past basis that we've had. Appraisals are starting to come in light, and it is becoming a broader issue. Um, it's, it's more downward price pressure, I guess, that we're going to continue to see here, and that poses another concern for the pre-construction buyer. Um, you know, we're talking about it five years out, but it's another couple hundred k you got to come up with now at rising rates. How are you going to do it? Right. Yeah, and I don't know if it's if it's isolated to to the pre-con space, right? I think appraisal, like you know, as values are changing. Um, I think that the 
problem here is that you know we have a broken housing market, and we're selling you know if we're selling stuff for more than it's worth on present day, like you used to used to be rewarded for basically funding a, a phase one project as a thank you for the developer by getting the product at you know today's market value, even though you didn't have to close on it for a couple of years. Um, everybody's trying to make their money, including the government, by you know increasing development charges, um, and so I think that you know. Again, like we're due for for some sort of reckoning that is going to to balance the the scales here, um, and sort of remove those incentives for everybody to take to, to pawn that kind of risk off on one another. Um, again, I do want to kind of move on from precon a little bit. Um, somebody asked about cottage country uh, specifically. Um, does anybody want to anybody want to touch on this one? I, I have a lot to say on it. Um, so if if nobody does, I can I can roll. But Peter, if you want to if you want to kick us off there. Actually, no one. No, you're you're better off to do this. Go for it. I just I sold a couple cottages last year, and and the demand I saw was insane. Yeah, just people people had no idea about like how how to the, the mechanics of the cottage and like septics and wells and all this stuff. And they're coming in from the city and from Oakville. I had I had a, a, a immigrant couple from Oakville come out to buy this place in Kawartha I was selling. And they had no idea what anything was. They wanted like a tutorial of how to use the cottage because it was just so alien to them, right? But I have a theory. Not- can I give it to you after? Uh, you can go. Post? You go. Go first, and I because I want to see if I agree with it or not. Yeah, yeah go, Nazma, go. I'm just saying. I just no, no, no. Please finish. Please, please finish. No. Okay, so I'll, 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 I'll give my two cents on cottages. I think that cottages, uh, they're due for, they're, that's probably the most vulnerable product in the market right now for a couple of reasons. Number one is it's typical, it's traditional sales cycle. And I would say that, you know, I'm I'm actively buying rural product. Like right now, I closed on a, on a piece of land in, in French River yesterday and, uh, and I bought another one a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I'm not... Um, I, I'm, I'm bearish on this product, but I think that there's opportunity, and you have to keep your your eyes open for that. So, um, cottages went from, and I charted this early on. I'll try and find the tweet, but cottages went from a, I think it was uh, 150 day sales cycle. So their absorption was you know half of a year, or or the better part of a year, um, and it short that shortened to about 15 days. Okay, so you saw a 90 percent reduction in the amount of time it took to sell a cottage in March, just in March of 2020 okay and this was people loading up to start to buy the staycation destination because we assumed that travel was going to be you know not not non-existent for the foreseeable future so you you have the type of product that ought not to be impulsively purchased that is being impulsively purchased and that that's fine you know what like that it is what it is. That's the story with Canadian real estate. You shouldn't impulsively buy a house, but people are doing it here. The challenge is that you know, with your home, you you can mow, you're there every day, right? You can mow the lawn, you can do all these things, and you can contribute to the the maintenance of the property. With a cottage, a lot of people, number one, they have no idea how much it costs or how much work it is to maintain a property. And you're saying, and, and Peter, like your example of people not even knowing what a well and septic are is a really good example, uh, right? But, and and so you have this this product that's bleeding you out, and everybody thinks, oh, it's only the rich people who are out buying cottages. No, it was not. If anything, actually, it was probably the rich people already own cottages. Seriously, they already had them, and it, it was people who realized or who felt that they were going to be uh, burdened by the fact that they couldn't get on an airplane for a couple of years and felt the need to have a, a sustained lifestyle uh, of, of vacationing I think that it, it, you know on mass that 
that really caused what I would say is, is a cottage bubble that we're in right now. The question becomes whether or not this ends this summer or next summer, right? Uh, and the reason that I say that is because co- the cottage sales cycle is really only five or six months long at most, right? Um, and, and so, and, and I guess the final piece that I'll add before I, I kind of hand it over and, and I want to hear uh, Nazma's theory here is that in a lot of cases, these products in in a normal market are not credit worthy, right? So they're not being purchased with mortgages. And and so you have a product that went from that. I think as soon as it all, all that needs to happen is that they need to return, return to a normal sales cycle. If they return to that 150 day uh, sales cycle or absorption period, if if it takes 150 days to sell the cottage that you spent 15 days purchasing in March of 2020, that market is instantly crippled and instantly becomes a a, uh, a race to the exit, from my perspective. Um, anyway, sorry to, to put that fear in you, but but uh, I don't I don't see it ending well for cottages. Uh, I hope so, man. I, I would agree. love to get a property in Oro. There you go. Uh, well, I'll keep my eyes open for on for, uh, for you, um, Nazma. Do we get to hear your uh, your theory now? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, my microphone is working. Um, first of all, like everything you said, I 100% agree. I don't even know if I can add to it, but I'll just say um, what you said, which is that, oh, you know, not the rich people, whatever. Um, people were first-time buyers. Instead of buying a house or a condo, they actually chose to buy a cottage, continue renting in the city, and use that cottage as an Airbnb to make money when they don't go there to stay there. A lot of people were doing this. Um, the problem with novice buyers or people who have no idea, like I have no idea about a cottage, okay? I don't know about the well system. I don't know about any of these. Most people are like me. Uh, what, you know, it, it, unless you have one handed from generation to generation, you have no freaking clue. And what that means is there's a ton of maintenance involved, number one. Number two, the problem also that we've been seeing Many Toronto agents, Peter, I'm sure you know what you're doing, but many other Toronto agents who have no clue about cottage uh, houses, properties, were helping their buyers driving two, three, even four hours uh, because they think it's an easy deal because their clients saw a nice waterfront property and they're like, oh, it's just, and they're thinking, oh, I don't even have to do showings. I could just write this offer, right? And so they would write the offer. They have no clue what they're doing. But the problems that we're seeing is that there's a lot of things that these Toronto agents have no clue about. Uh, like, I don't know, I'm going to name you a few, but black flies, I don't know, it, you can't even sit outside. Um, snapping turtles, I heard. So you can't even use the water. Um, or that the road is not even um, cleaned in winter. Not cleaned, what's the word? Plowed in winter. So you actually... Yeah, so you actually have no access in the winter. They don't even know. Well, it's the listing like, agents are loving yeah, I mean, it that, because they have these gullible agents coming in who have no clue. They don't even know what to ask. They don't know what they don't know. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a really good point, right? And I think it's even funny, like because you know you you said, oh, admittedly, I don't really know much about the product. Um, to me, like you know, snapping turtles, black flies, etc. Those those are very minor issues. You know, like I can tell you, some of the things that can go wrong with a cottage. Uh, would make you wish roadshore allowances. Yeah, I mean, like, but think, so, some of the things that can go wrong with the cottage would make you wish that a snapping turtle bit your toe off. Like that would be among the higher, uh, <laughs> or the more positive outcomes that could happen. Like, so I, I, you know, I've seen people make grading changes to properties and and have their entire driveway wash out into, uh, like, literally take out an old cottage. 
a lot of people don't know that, that you know the the basement systems that these these properties are on on cross spaces etc again there, there's so much risk stacked on top of risk and the fact that again these things aren't credit worthy they're not liquid right they appear to be liquid this is the that to me is the biggest risk they're liquidity trap right they appeared to be liquid in march of 2020 but they've appeared to be liquid for the past two years but if you look at the historics on the sales cycle of a cottage they take about a half a year to sell. And for people who need to sell something quickly, they don't have that much time. Those are the people who start cutting prices. That is how price downward price discovery happens quickly. And I I do think that there, you know, you can see micro bubbles, you know, within the market. I I would, I would say that, that, that this is one of them. Right. And I felt that way. I literally felt that way in, in March of 2020. I wish I can, I'm going to try and find the, um, the tweets because I, I felt that, that that was happening instantly. Um, somebody said one last when I mentioned cottages, am I including markets like Blue Mountain Wasaga houses as well? I, I would say no. I do think rural markets are gonna gonna recoil. I think they already are. We're already seeing it. But I, I do mean like a specifically illiquid cottage product that that is is a pro- close. And he left. Yeah, I'm like, I... Who knows? I just have one question for Daniel. Does Daniel have a PhD in septic systems? Because I that I grew up on a two cottages, and we've looked at mobile home parks for clients before, and that's the most complex thing I've ever dealt with, is the septic systems. I don't know if Peter's dealt with them, but like that is like a major red flag. That's all I know about cottages. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to mention... Yeah. I'm just going to point it out there real quick, Nazman, and you can go mm, you can jump in. Yeah. Uh, it says the host is having connect, connection mm-hmm. issues, so we, we may get rugged. Just a heads up. Yeah, I'm just going to mention one thing. I've never looked at, um, hold on. I've never looked at going and renting a cottage until I think 2020 or 2021, okay? And the reason is because what everybody went through, um, that's why they're so hot. Now that travel is open, I'm not, I don't care to go to cottage. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Now people want to travel. Now people want to spend their money and go elsewhere. So even the Airbnb market for these, uh, the the purpose that everybody bought it for, I don't think they're going to see the return that they were hoping for. And I think there's going to be a lot of uh, listings coming from all of these uh, cottages. And like Daniel said, it's going to take forever to sell. You can go to I the don't think that's in, that's not entirely correct though, because they have like locations like Prince Edward County in Muskoka. Some no, 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 forget these two. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah forget like these two. Have, they have, yeah, even different. Niagara, you have like no vacancy, like Sauble Beach, Prince Edward County. Like we just sold I'm talking about other places. There's, there's like two Paris, categories Ontario. of travelers right now, right? Like there's people that are going to want to travel international. There's people that are uncomfortable with getting on a plane and going to the U.S. or wherever else in the world, right? Um, so that's kind of impacting that kind of dollar spend. And that's why you're still seeing demand at Niagara Falls and Prince Edward County and Muskoka, all these different places. On the flip side, something I've 